0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, the midterm elections are mostly in the books. The Democrats took control of the U.S. House of Representatives, made some inroads in governorships and state legislatures. The Republicans expanded their majority in the U.S. Senate, most likely. Uh, In Utah, Mitt Romney became senator-elect. The race for the 4th Congressional District is too close to call at this hour. Several of the propositions on the ballot appear headed for passage, with 70 or 80 percent of the votes in in Utah. And turnout was extremely high across the country, especially for a midterm election. We are going to recap the elections and get some analysis and look ahead. Our guest for the hour is Damon Kahn, USU professor of political science. Uh, Damon Kahn, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, long time no see. Thanks for being on with us on our election night coverage. Enjoyed that. Um, and we thank Mike Lyons also from the OSU Political Science Department for being on with us as well. Um, I'm especially interested to know what uh, you think. Did you vote? Um, and uh, what was top of mind for you? What was the top issue? What uh, got you to the polls? Are you a first time voter? I'd be interested to hear from you. Um, maybe you didn't vote. I'd be curious to, to see in this uh, uh, frenzy of attention. Uh, you, you decided not to vote, uh, so I'd be very interested to, to, to hear why. Uh, so, the top issues and uh, your comments looking ahead to uh, 2020 now. It's the, it, it just, uh, Damon Ken, it seems that it's depressing in a certain way to me, although as a political junkie, I'm fascinated. But it just seems like we have endless campaigns and. Uh, Today is really the starting uh, gate for the 2020 presidential elections. That's
1: that's absolutely right, Tom. Uh, In fact, in some ways we saw this summer during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, Uh, some uh, signals uh, that many people interpreted as people who were already beginning uh, to campaign for president at that time. This is the point where it starts to be a little more okay uh, for people to be a little more public about it. Uh, So expect to see lots of people making visits to Iowa and New Hampshire, our early uh, primary and caucus states. Uh, Expect to see uh, presidential hopefuls coming out with new books and uh, finding ways to introduce themselves to uh, a broader spectrum Spectrum of the American people as they start to set the stage for the
0: 2020 presidential elections. It's that old maxim: uh, n- No national politician visits Iowa by accident, right? Exactly. If they're in Iowa, they're probably running. So, yeah. um, and Iowa's a fine state. I mean, you could you could vacation there, a, but a lovely anyway. place to visit. Lovely, so. lovely place. New yeah. Hampshire, the same. Anyway, that all kicks off. We'd love to get your comments, and we uh, we start in with uh, Jeff Wright, who. Um, is with better boundaries I believe Jeff Wright um so th- welcome to the program thanks for taking the time
2: good morning g- g- good good morning here.
0: good morning so i'm looking at the uh, the results so far it looks very very tight for proposition 4 um, with about 74% of the uh, the vote in uh, right now it's 50-50 uh, do you are you hopeful this will pass
2: we're, we're confident it'll pass. We're cautiously optimistic. We're about 4,000 votes ahead right now. Uh, and we're kind of working in the dark right now because we don't know how many mail-in uh, ballots are still out there that still need to be counted. It'll really come down to Utah County and Salt Lake County. That's where the significant votes are are, are going to be still outstanding.
0: And what would you, you know, if, if we had told you before the election uh, you're going to be uh, 4,000 votes ahead? With Salt Lake and Utah County uh, still to be counted, would you be confident?
2: Uh, We were always cautiously optimistic. I think we ran a great campaign. I think we, uh, we energized bipartisan voters across the state, which shows in the vote totals. Uh, county by county. Uh, but we always knew this was going to be tight. This is a very esoteric issue. It's a very complicated issue. And to be where we are right now, I think, is is in and of itself, uh, you know, very positive.
0: So uh, remind us what um, uh, Proposition 4 would do if, uh, if it passes.
2: So Proposition 4 would set up an independent commission uh, every 10 years, to redistrict uh, the lines in the state of Utah, both on the federal level and the state level. In addition, it would have standards set forth uh, that would become law, uh, such as not including incumbent addresses when drawing uh, district maps, uh, keeping communities of interest together, keeping cities and towns together. So combined with the standards, the independent commission uh, would be a check and balance to make sure we're drawing the lines appropriately and representing the people of Utah.
0: So this commission, uh, would this be binding or would this just be a suggestion to the legislature?
2: Uh, we, we, we created a, a framework where it could fit into the Utah Constitution. So under the law, if this passes, uh, the commission would give the map to the, to the legislature. The legislature could vote up or down, and if they choose to vote down, then within seven days they have to give written and uh, written confirmation on why they are changing the maps. Hmm. So we think that's a check and balance system that fits within our constitutional framework here in Utah.
0: Hmm. Now it's uh, this is just my opinion only uh, as I'm a political junkie I'm fascinated by the process very very uh, plugged in that would describe a certain subset of the population I'm sure but uh, for me and the people I would be representative of I'm very fascinated by these issues I wonder if the larger population you know cares about gerrymandering redistricting I, I wonder what your take is
2: well, I think the profile of gerrymandering has been elevated across the country. We had two Supreme Court cases. We will most likely have other federal cases. Uh, Pennsylvania uh, turned out to be an election mess. So I think the profile is is increasing on, on the problem of gerrymandering. You know, Republicans have a group called Red State. Uh, Democrats have a group called Blue Map. They're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, trying to draw the lines to partisan advantage <clears throat> across the country and we wanted to get ahead of that here in Utah so is it a difficult issue to campaign on is it a difficult issue to explain because it is very uh, in the weeds yes but I think the profile and interest seems to be increasing
0: I've heard at least one uh, Utah Republican uh, say um, well to the you know to the victor go the spoils if you if a party wins the legislature they ought to be able to draw the maps you know however they 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 can well they didn't say this but whatever they can get away with right uh, uh, public opinion um, maybe you could um, you know for those who don't uh, focus on this issue um, tell us what's the harm what's the harm in gerrymandering
2: Well I think uh, you know that Republican would not be saying that if they were in a state where they had been gerrymandered out of representation. So both parties are equal opportunity offenders here, uh, but it, 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 harms democ- it harms our representative democracy. I mean, we have a concept of one person, one vote, and that goes against Directly against that, I think it creates less competition at the ballot box. I think the competition becomes, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, how you draw the maps to your partisan or incumbent advantage, which directly impacts voter participation, voter satisfaction, uh, the candidates that are put forth. So I think this harms our representative democracy, and I think we see this across the country where you know Republicans and Democrats have been gerrymandered out of seats. So I find it hard to believe as a Republican myself that uh, you would be saying that if you lived in a state that had been gerrymandered by the Democrats.
0: Yeah, I guess the you see the harm if you're the minority party <laughs> in a state that's been very skillfully gerrymandered. Uh, Jeff Wright, I'm joined by USU political science professor Damon Can.
1: I, uh, in uh, most of the other uh, proposition races that we had this year, uh, there was organized uh, campaign forces on each side of the issue. But uh, in, in your ballot initiative, it was really kind of better boundaries and, and there wasn't uh, an, an organized force uh, against uh, support of the proposal. Uh, why do you think that was? And, and uh, in the absence of such a force, uh, you know, uh, why, why has this ended up so close?
2: Well, gerrymandering is hard to defend, and I think as as a legislature who who were are really only vocal individuals speaking out against uh, gerrymandering and the ballot initiative, uh, it, it looks very self interested to support uh, not you know, not having an independent commission that standards set. So I think it's very hard to raise money, to build a campaign, to build a grassroots network, to get volunteers to say, you know, we, we support gerrymandering in some form or another. So I think that's hard for the opposition to do. I think why we're so close is we're still seeing a pretty, you know, in county by county, we're still seeing a pretty partisan breakdown, you know, Democrats, Republicans and independents. Uh, so I, I think the you know, if, if you're a Republican, you're probably more persuaded uh, to to keep the status quo, um, though many Republicans across the straits said no to gerrymandering and voted for Proposition 4. So uh, we knew this was going to be a close race, and we knew uh, that this was a tough battle, again, because this isn't the most, you know, electrifying issue. It, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to articulate why it's important. So uh, given... Given the campaign, I think we knew it would be close. Uh, we wish we were doing a little better, but we're still four thousand votes ahead, so we're crossing our fingers.
0: Well, uh, Jeff Wright, one final question: um, If uh, Proposition Four passes, uh, what's next steps, and is the is would the commission be in place for the redistricting that's uh, coming up following the twenty twenty census?
2: That would be correct. So the commission would be formed, uh, the appointments would be made by the governor and the legislature into the various commission positions, and, and we hope that uh, the will of the people and the election would, would uh, matter, and that we would go forward and have a commission and have you know better boundaries drawn in the future.
0: We've been talking with Jeff Wright, who is with Better Boundaries uh, here in Utah. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
2: Delighted to be with you.
0: Thank you. Uh later in the program we're going to hear a conversation uh recorded last night with Riley Curtis from Utah uh um with um Utah decides uh n- no uh we'll we'll have a uh, an interview uh with the Medicaid proposition got confused with all the interviews we did last night um you were with us uh, David Kent. thank you so much Uh, So that's interesting. And that one, 4,000 votes ahead, but still in the 70% um, and still Utah and Salt Lake Counties to come in, it looks like. So um, I don't know. Do you... Do you have a sense that this is going to pass or not?
1: I think this one's going to have to go down to counting every last vote until we really know exactly what happened. Uh, It's a very uh, contentious issue, Uh, as Jeff pointed out. uh, It's a very difficult issue to package and frame in an initiative framework. Uh, when you when you're going for an initiative, uh, you you uh, from the campaign side of things, you want to make the issue simple, straightforward, and clear to voters because the tendency of voters, uh, uh, academic studies across lots of different initiatives, show that uh, if people have uncertainty in their mind, they think there there might be negative unforeseen consequences if they don't understand it. If the wording of the initiative that's printed on the ballot isn't clear, the disposition is to just vote no, and so. Uh, 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 he's he's right that this is a complex issue to package and make digestible and straightforward uh, for voters in a way that makes it an easy campaign to win Uh, uh, the non-binding question one faced the same challenge uh, where it was just a tough thing to explain how increasing gas taxes would cause smother shifts in the state's revenues that would therefore lead to more money for education. And, and that one uh, certainly went down last night.
0: We'll be talking, uh, I'll, I'll have an interview from last night with Austin Cox, is who I was trying to pull up um our schools now so we'll hear that a little later in the program and and he says much the same thing he says well maybe we (laughs) maybe it was kind of esoteric um and i think they're regretting um at least the way they put it on the ballot um uh, questions for you just some very simple questions what was top of mind as you went and voted um, and uh, did that race or that issue, uh, has, has it won? Um, another question that uh, the exit poll- uh, pollsters were putting to uh, voters, um, do you feel like the country is better off or worse off for, uh, for what happened uh, last night? Are you more confident going forward or, or less confident? Uh, what's your mood uh, today? with uh, the midterm elections mostly now uh, in the books. We'd love to hear from you. Here's how you can get us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. What race were you focused on? What issue was top of your mind? And is the country better off or worse off? Or what happened uh, last night. Access at gmail.com, 1-800-826-1495. We have USU political science professor Damon Can. We'll uh, dive into some of those propositions, also talk a bit about the U.S. 4th Congressional District, and talk about some national issues, and get into talking about the uh, a little bit more about the uh, 2020 uh, presidential race, contours of which have have now been outlined with the with the midterm elections. Let's take a break now. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members
2: and John Simpson and Jamie Curtis of Culinary Concepts Catering, excited to help
1: UPR listeners plan and prepare a menu for family or business guests this holiday season.
0: Menu details and ideas available at culinaryconceptsonline.com.
1: This week on Undisciplined, we're talking to a scientist who is racing to save a one-tree forest. And then we're going to be joined by a researcher who is trying to prove that carbon monoxide can be good for us. And then, like we do every week, we'll try to draw connections between these two very different areas of work. The inorganic chemist and the wildland ecologist, that's Undisciplined, Friday at 2. This week on This American Life, Reagan grew
0: up Mormon. Her boyfriend didn't.
2: And I'd be like, you know when you're singing around a piano with your family? And he's like, no, nobody does that. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a normal thing. (laughs) And then one day I'm like, you know when you're in an an office with an old man and the door is shut and you're talking about sex things? Every Mormon teenager had to do this. And sometimes it got weird.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. time Tom Williams. Well, if you were like me, you're up uh, most of the night looking at the election returns. I know Damon Can probably was as well. Um, fascinating election, big big turnout. Uh, it seemed Damon Can more in terms of the excitement, more like a presidential election. And I, I suppose we uh, give credit to the president who who really injected some energy that sometimes you don't see in a midterm election. Is that your take? Yes. uh, You know, we weren't
1: voting for the president uh, in this election, but we were voting about the president in this election. Uh, Donald Trump traveled uh, far and wide, particularly focusing on Senate elections, uh, working to get out and, and was willing to make this election uh, a referendum on his performance. And in the states where he went out and did that, uh, he was largely successful. Uh, the red states stayed red uh, and the red states that had uh, elected Democrats in this uh, Senate cycle back in uh, 2012 uh, have have largely come back to being Uh, 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 having Republican uh, senators again after this election. Uh, But in the House, uh, again, the election was about Trump. Uh, and in places where Republicans had been holding on to swing districts or marginal districts, uh, the Democrats were very, very successful in nationalizing the election in ways that brought those House seats uh, into the Democratic Party. So uh, uh, certainly split election results, uh, but wherever you look, this election was really about Donald Trump.
0: I saw a headline today, Donald Trump is calling himself the magic man this morning. Um, <laughs> Patting himself on the back, dude, how much credit does he deserve?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, Trump uh, pursued some wise political strategy uh, during the course of this election, Republican, anytime you're running an election, you have uh, scarce resources and you have to allocate them uh, to the races and situations where you'll get the most bang for your buck. Uh, and Donald Trump uh, and uh, Republicans nationally uh, recognized fairly early on that the House was in jeopardy. Uh, they they portrayed confidence uh, and, and tried to maintain a, a positive face on it. Uh, but in reality, I think everybody recognized this was going to be a tough election in the House. Uh, historically, since World War II, I think there's only been two elections, uh, two midterm elections, where the president's party has not lost seats. Uh, and the Republicans lost uh, a, a reasonably large number of seats in this election. That's to be expected. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Trump probably gets a case in the pants uh, over the performance in the House elections, but they were wise in the way that they focused their resources on Senate elections, where the map was favorable to them, where the elections were winnable if they put the money and the resources and the campaign efforts behind it, and the Republicans were wise in the way they did that. I think both Republicans and Democrats recognized where their opportunities were and went after them aggressively, and uh, and, and the fruits show uh, for both parties from from the seeds that they sowed.
0: Uh, we had a caller who uh, hung up. Uh, Olaf, call us back. We, we're very interested to know what you uh, uh, had to say. Uh, so would be very interested to, to hear um, all of our listeners. Um, what was top of mind in the election? What was the issue that was uh, driving you to the polls uh, or the, the particular uh, candidate? And uh, did that turn out the way you wanted or not? Uh, do you feel more or less optimistic about the direction of the country post-2018 elections, which, uh, of course, happened yesterday and are still ongoing as the the votes come in. Um, and uh, looking ahead to 2020, what uh, what are your comments there? What do you think? Um, we'd love to, to hear your uh, views. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or access at gmail.com, upraxess at gmail.com. Um, so, Damon, can uh, what I was seeing from the exit polling um, for a lot of people, healthcare was was top of mind, certainly for Democrats.
1: Absolutely. Uh, um, In in Utah, health care may have been a a driving factor bringing people to the polls as they were uh, voting on the Medicaid expansion concept. But nationally, health care is an issue uh, as well. Uh, Republicans uh, made some attempts uh, to repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, also known as Obamacare, and weren't successful. But Democrats are nervous enough about that that they want to protect those things. And uh, when we think about health care, a lot of the issues that we Talk about as women's issues are are, are also healthcare issues, and uh, and so that ties into uh, things for many of the the women voters uh, who came out in large numbers uh, supporting Democrats in this election.
0: Um, we do have um, an email. Let me uh, pull it up here. My computer is slow, so I'm going to pull up my phone. All right, here we go. Just a moment while we get this is Glenn in the uh, UNA Basin who has emailed us to upraxcess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, Glenn says, hello, the competitive Democrat in me cannot help but feel a little disappointed that the Democrats didn't take the Senate. But my logical side is satisfied at the new makeup of the U.S. Congress. For starters, there seemed to be so much outright dislike for Trump on the left that there would have been a lot of pressure to impeach him had there been a Democratic majority in both houses. Impeachment would likely have caused the right-left rift to widen and fester regardless of the results. I do not believe that this would be at all helpful for the country and politics, no matter how gratifying uh, it only sets up um, a tit-for-tat status quo down the road. Second, there is a reasonable check and balance in place beginning in January within the federal government. So when Trump makes intimations about an executive order having to... um, Having the reach to subvert the 14th Amendment, there would theoretically be people in place to oppose it. And why wasn't there more outcry due to such claim? If he could write an executive order to bypass the 14th Amendment, why couldn't he do the same to the 1st, 2nd, and so forth? Let me uh, repeat that uh, to those on the right, the 2nd Amendment, etc., and I say that loudly, he puts it in all caps. I say that loudly because I think the NRA must be sleeping through Trump speeches due to complacency. Third, how can the blame for the economy, uh, such as the deficit and inevitable stock market correction, be laid at the feet of the Dems when the Repubs are in control? I feel like the left has been given a good hand going into the 2020 elections for these reasons. My unsolicited predictions. Dow Jones at or below 18000 by 2020 elections, bear market pending. Interest rates up two points. The Fed finding inflation. Deficit at $1.5 trillion annually due to interest rates and reduced revenue from tax cuts. Dems elect the first female president. Dems hold the House and gain majority in the Senate. That's Glenn. So thanks for those unsolicited uh, predictions. Appreciate that. I would solicit that from other listeners. What are your predictions? So looking forward. And uh, do you agree with Glenn um, that uh, he, he says as a Democrat he uh, had hopes for the Senate, but uh, he's happy with the House. And he calls out uh, the, the president uh, for, a, for a couple things and says he needs a check. That was another uh, thing. um Damon Can that you heard from uh, seems like a lot of voters uh, in the exit polls, at least the Democrats uh, wanted a check on the president
1: absolutely, and uh, the Democrats uh, were were focused uh primarily on the House as the mechanism to get there because that was the easier lift. Uh, you were going to get their uh, there uh, more likely and Democrats went after it aggressively and they don't have to win the House and the Senate in order to have that check. Uh, the House now gives uh, them control of a government oversight committee uh, the Democrats now have the ability to stop any Trump legislation that they are uh, trump sponsored legislation if they're uncomfortable with it and really, I think this sets the the um, uh, the ground uh, the the battleground up for for the next two years, uh, really being uh, angled towards a stalemate uh, in politics, uh, because uh, the Republicans will be able to move things through the Senate uh, and Democrats will be able to block from the House. But anything Democrats move from the House uh, faces the Senate, uh, a Republican Senate, as well as a presidential veto. Uh, look for posturing uh, for the two parties. Uh, we, we've already talked about how the 2020 election is set up and, and, and uh, uh, how that's going to be where people's focus and attention is moving forward. Uh, you can count on Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate already thinking about their party's prospects in 2020 and uh, using that as the backdrop for how they make decisions. I wouldn't expect a lot of compromise out of this Congress.
0: Right, uh, we had another caller who uh, who hung up. So uh, I, I'm not sure if uh, there's a, a, some uh, delay in getting to you. I promise you, call will go directly to you. So call back, Olaf and Jack, and and anyone else is considering calling. Um, the, the, the water's great. Jump in. We'd love to hear from you. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Love to get your take on this election. Did it uh, come out the way you wanted or not? Uh, the, the reasons why or why not? What was the issue top of mind for you? And um, do you think the country's better off or worse off for the, for the results, at least uh, so far? And I uh, would love to get your predictions. Glenn has given us predictions about the uh, Dow Jones Industrial. He says he thinks uh, Dems elect the first female president in uh, 2020. Um, he, uh, he says the Dems are going to hold the House and gain a majority in the Senate in 2020. Interest rates up two points. Dow Jones at or below 18,000. Those are some of his predictions. Love to hear your predictions as well. 800-826-1495 is toll free. 800-826-1495. Or you could email us to upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, I wonder what you, Damon Can, do you, do you think any of those predictions are, are, are likely? there's some some really interesting things to think about
1: there uh certainly senator Kamala harris uh from california uh is is making a lot of noise in in uh, as a prospective democratic candidate uh elizabeth warren uh from a senator from massachusetts uh, is uh, is almost certainly uh, running for office already uh, Kristen Gillibrand from new york uh, a senator from new york and and so there's a there are a large number of uh, female candidates out there uh, uh, for for the Democrats in 2020 I think one question that 's on a lot of people 's minds is will Trump run again? Uh, I think uh, most pundits expect that he will, and uh, will anyone run against him? Uh, We've had uh, some uh, uh, Bob Corker, uh, Jeff Flake, John Kasich, and a number of other Republicans who've expressed some uh, dissatisf- dissatisfaction and been fairly critical uh, of uh, of the president, uh, really from the beginning and in some cases even prior to his election. And uh, will any of them step up? And if they do, will they step up as individuals within the Republican Party contesting Trump's path to the nomination? Or will they run as independents? Uh, and, and if you know, that, That's an important distinction. If they run against Trump in the primary— then Trump ultimately has the potential to win out and move forward to the general election without having to worry about that contest. If they run as independent candidates, then they move forward into the general election where's the, where there's the possibility of Flake or Kasich or someone else splitting the votes of Republicans and making the path towards reelection much more difficult for Donald Trump.
0: Hmm. Um, I did see an interview with John Kasich just uh, I think a couple of days ago um, he seemed to indicate he's not going to not gonna primary the president because he feels like he wouldn't have a chance. Uh, he didn't rule out an independent run. So that's that's kind of the latest from John Kasich yeah, in any case. Uh, would love to hear from you, 800-826-1495. What issue was is top of mind for you or continues to be top of mind for you? Is there a candidate you're especially uh, polling for? What do you think about the outcome of the election? And uh, do you feel more hopeful or less hopeful about the direction of the country uh, post-2018 midterm uh, elections and your predictions for uh, for 2020 as we now look ahead? Uh, what about the propositions? Um, did you vote for or against the propositions? And, uh, and uh, is there a proposition that you especially are anxious uh, about? As uh, all of the propositions are leading at this point, um, but with uh, still quite a few votes to, to, to be counted. Uh, the number is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can reach us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. So Damon Ken, I wonder about uh, the, the president. Uh, some in his party were apparently begging him to make the economy front and center. He chose to make immigration, the, the closing argument. Uh, so we heard a lot about the caravan and, and such. Was was that a smart strategy or, or not, do you think? You know, immigration is a really
1: divisive issue for the Republican Party uh the, the The challenge with that issue is you have kind of the business and chamber of commerce uh a wing of the Republican Party that views uh, immigration as an important part of their labor supply, and so I think Trump took some risks uh, in doing that, uh, but uh you know in in the end uh it it may have done some damage in some of the House races uh, where they lost, but it certainly didn 't seem to be harmful. Uh, It didn't have spillover negative effects on Republicans in in these close Senate races uh, where Republicans actually appeared to be doing better uh, than had been expected. Mm -hmm. And so uh, especially you go to um, southern states, uh, the immigration issue, as Trump frames it, seems to play very well among Republicans in those states. And so uh, uh, it certainly uh, wasn't damaging in those instances.
0: By the way, how did the pollsters do? I, I don't know if you caught there's a very funny uh sketch uh, from Saturday Night Live where very nervous Democrats yes. uh, <laughs> having been snake bitten in twenty sixteen are trying to put on a brave face, but they're incredibly nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, that, that was and, and how time. did the how did the pollsters fare, do you think, this time around?
1: So overall I think polling went fairly well. Uh um we the projections in advance uh, were about 80% chance of democrats taking control of the house and about an 80% chance of republicans keeping control of the senate and and that fared uh, reasonably well The you know I think a lot of pollsters were nervous as well. They should have (laughs) included nervous pollsters in that SNL sketch. Uh, But uh, uh, in in the end, there there were a few factors in play in 2016 that just weren't uh, issues here. One's the question of whether uh, people were nervous about expressing their support for Donald Trump in polls, Uh, and then the other issue is that there were just a lot of things still going on late breaking in the 2016 uh, presidential election, and. uh, Uh, For so long, so many polls had shown uh, Hillary Clinton so far ahead that in those last couple of days as state-level polls started breaking uh, in Trump's favor in some of those uh, Midwestern uh, states— then I think people were reluctant to believe that there was really meaningful change going on there. And uh, and, and then the final thing in 2016 was we and, and that we need to remember always when we're interpreting polls, is that if someone says there's a 70% chance of something happening, that doesn't mean it will happen. That's not a 100% of things happening. And so even though the pollsters gave Hillary Clinton uh, odds somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of being successful in that election, uh, that still means that somewhere between 1 and 3 and 1 and 4 times Hillary Clinton is going to lose. Uh, you don't take those odds uh, when, you, uh, when you're when you making decisions on how to maneuver in the freeway or deciding which air carriers to fly on. Seventy percent success rate isn't good enough in some of those circumstances, and we have to remember what those odds mean uh, when we're interpreting polls.
0: Before we go to break, um, just uh, we're, we've veered near the subject, so I want to bring this up now. The electoral college. There, there were a lot of Democrats decrying the electoral college, anachronistic, outdated. Um, and it has been Republican presidents in recent times who have lost the popular vote, uh, but won the electoral college. And so in recent times, it's been the Democrats decrying this. Of course, if the shoe's on the other foot, it's, you know, it's, uh, the the You'd the, go the other way around. I um, but uh, I wonder what your, th- your thought is. It, you know, 2016, would have been very straightforward without the electoral college right hillary clinton wins the popular vote by some 3 million votes president hillary clinton but that's not the that's not the system we have
1: it's not uh, and and while that may seem to be deceptively simple the the uh, the issue that we have to remember when saying what would have happened in 2016 is that candidates form their campaign strategies around winning states not around winning votes uh, and it's absolutely true and, and something we should keep in mind that Hillary Clinton won uh, more votes in the 2016 presidential election uh, than did Donald Trump. Uh, but the candidate's strategies were, were appropriately geared, wisely geared towards winning states and not winning votes. Would the Republicans have done things differently in 2016 uh, if if, uh, if it had been a, a direct vote? Uh, absolutely, uh, yes, they would have. Uh, Donald Trump probably would have tried to bring out more Republicans in his home state of New York, uh, but he didn't go after that because he knew any money spent in New York was going to be wasted resources. So candidates would have taken their campaign strategies in a different direction had they been cam- campaigning for votes. A, a good analogy is uh, uh, when the golden uh, a couple of years back, when the Golden State Warriors lost to the Cavaliers uh, in the NBA Finals, uh, the the Warriors scored more points across the series of games than did uh, the Cavs. Uh, when the Warriors won, they won big. When the Cavs won, they won narrowly. But you win the NBA championship by winning. Games You have to win four games uh, to win the championship, and so nobody talks about the fact that the Warriors won more points uh, than did the Cavs because the whole strategy of the entire uh, basketball game would change if the goal was to score as many points as possible across seven games as opposed to if the goal was to simply win four
0: games. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from Sterling, who has emailed us. Appreciate that, Sterling. We'll get your email right after the uh, the break. You can email us as well, upraxcess at gmail.com, at gmail.com. You can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Interested to know what issue is top of mind going into the election? What remains top of mind for you? What's the most important uh, issue uh, for you? And uh, do you feel more or less optimistic about the direction of the country uh, after the, the election? Uh, the, the candidates you want to, to, to win win and uh, look ahead to 2020 we'd love to get your predictions as we now look ahead to the next big election which is 2020 800-826-1495 800-826-1495 or upr access at gmail.com uh, glenn predicts the democrats will elect the first female president in 2020 what do you think we'd love your prediction as well um more following this break On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll trace the travels of one of the planet's most versatile and popular instruments,
1: the six-string acoustic guitar, from flamenco to bossa nova. I'm Dan Storper.
0: And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Pack your bags and join us for Global Guitars on the next Putumayo World Music Hour.
2: Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: On the next On Being, neurosurgeon and compassion researcher James Doty on the magic shop of the brain.
2: Every time I'm in the position to open a person's skull, it's extraordinary in the sense that within that is who each of us is.
0: I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us.
2: Sunday evening at 5 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for joining us for AXIS Utah. We're recapping the 2018 midterm elections. A lot of excitement around these elections. And uh, that continues as uh, some races, some Senate races, are still too close to call. Uh, Florida, uh, Montana, Arizona, uh, to my knowledge, have not been called at this point. Republicans leading in all of those uh, states. Uh, Here in Utah, the 4th Congressional District has not been called. Maybe won't be for a, a day or two. I don't know what you think, Damon Canwin. When do you think that'll be called?
1: I think this one could take, uh, take some time. Uh, but, uh, you know, Ben McAdams has a pretty healthy lead at this point. Uh, the big question is of the outstanding votes, uh, how many of those votes come from Utah County, versus how many of them come from Salt Lake County. And at this, because of the vote-by-mail system, we really don't know where votes are still going to be coming in from. Uh, Mia Love's uh, hometown is Saratoga Springs, uh, and so uh, the northern, uh, northwestern part of Utah County that falls in the 4th District is her home turf. And if there's a bunch of votes still coming in uh, from from that part of Utah County, then this could break back in in uh, Congresswoman Love's favor. Uh, but if the votes are more scattered around the district, or especially if they come out of the the Salt Lake County portions of the district, that spells trouble for me, I Love.
0: Speaking of vote by mail, that's what Sterling um, uh, has on his mind. So Sterling has emailed us to upraccess at gmail.com. You can as well. We'd love to hear from you, your comment on the 2018 Elections. Um, love to know what's on your mind this morning. Um, UPRaccess at gmail.com, or you can call us to 800 826 1495. Here's what Sterling says I really appreciated voting using Utah's mail in ballot system. Nonetheless, my spouse did not receive her requested ballot. What I enjoyed most was the ability to research candidates, judges, and other items on the ballot that I did not anticipate and that I could not have researched were I uh, to have voted at a polling station. I'm curious to know from Dr. Can how he believes Utah's mail-in ballot system will have an effect on future Utah elections. Good question. Thanks, Sterling.
1: That's a terrific question, Sterling. Thanks for sending that in for us. Utah Utah's not the first uh, state uh, to experiment with vote by mail. Oregon has had it for a couple decades. Uh, Washington has a lot of experience and Colorado uh, made that transition uh, over the last several years as well. Uh, and, and Utah in many ways has been in transition on vote by mail. As well, uh, where the state legislature, rather than saying, "Okay, Utah wholesale is going to go to vote by mail, uh, made a decision to allow counties to make that decision independently on their own. And so uh, in Cache County, we've done this before. Uh, uh, but uh, in this election, now we're up to 27 of the 29 counties in Utah that are using vote-by-mail. So Utah is nearly entirely a vote-by-mail state. And uh, the the feedback that we get that, that people really like about vote-by-mail is is exactly some of the things you said. There's a convenience element to it. You can vote when you want, uh, under the circumstances that you want. Uh, you can sit down with your ballot and pull up your, your your voter guide online uh, uh, that the state of Utah makes available uh, with candidate statements and and uh, you know information about who the judges are and what their evaluations have been from people in the courtroom and and incorporate that into the process and and so uh, vote by mail. Uh, can help to not only generate potentially more voters, uh, but it can also help us to have more informed voters uh, as people work to cast their ballots. So that's a positive thing. Now, there's certainly some kinks to be worked out uh, as, as we get better at this, uh, trying to do a better job of making sure everyone receives their ballots, uh, getting voters comfortable with help, helping them to understand what to do if they don't receive their ballot automatically in the mail uh, so they understand the mechanisms for uh, getting in touch with the county County clerk and being able to, to call in and receive uh, a ballot or go in and pick one up. And as we get a little more comfortable with that, that'll be helpful. But there's one other element of vote-by-mail that we have to, to be on the watch for. Uh, when Washington and Oregon and some of the other states that have adopted this initially adopted, uh, you saw a, a real spike uh, in voter turnout. That first election, everybody, there's, uh, there's advertising and, and people are reaching out to you. Election officials want you to know uh, that this is happening. Uh, and then that starts to go away. And after the first uh, two to three election cycles after vote-by-mail in these other states we saw uh, turnout levels go back approximately to where they were before. And so uh, the, the question to watch in Utah is what will happen to turnout in 2020, uh, 2022, and beyond uh, as Utah become familiar with this and it's less novel. Uh, will that start to have our turnout levels drop back to where they'd been previously?
0: Hmm. And starting, I hope your wife uh, went in and voted. Uh, I, I think it's new in Utah. You can register and vote. The same day.
1: Yes. On, uh, this on election is, day. Uh, the, the first election cycle, this was a, an important initiative for Lieutenant Governor Cox, who was the state's chief election official. Uh, since Utah doesn't have a secretary of state, those duties fall to the lieutenant governor. Uh, and they uh, really sought to... Um, uh, to make opportunities to vote uh, more available to people. And that was partly responsible for the long lines we saw around the state last night because going through that registration process initially takes a little bit of time, and then you feed them into the line to actually go and place that vote. Uh, but for those who are willing to take the time and do it, that, that has uh, been demonstrated in many other states to be have real turnout-boosting effects.
0: Another uh, question I found interesting: exit polling. Um, the question was asked: Are you more concerned about voter fraud or voter suppression? And more people were concerned about voter suppression. Um, I'm not sure. What, you see that you know you have seen, and uh, these are mostly or all Republican legislators legislatures that have been uh, in a concern, they say, for voter fraud have instituted uh, measures making it uh, more difficult to vote.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm sure that if you looked at the partisan breakdown on expression of those concerns, you'd find Republicans are more concerned about voter fraud and Democrats are more concerned about voter suppression. Uh, and, and that's been a, a longstanding division uh, and distinction between uh, the way Republicans and Democrats view election administration issues. Uh, it's interesting, in, in Utah, when we first started polling about vote by mail after, after counties started experimenting with this, concerns about voter fraud, were were in in connection with vote by mail were quite high, and we've seen that notch down as voters get a little bit more experience and see how the elections work. Uh, that the, the outcomes are what largely what they would expect. That uh, that concerns about voter fraud in terms of vote by mail have tended to uh, diminish. Over time, but that national distinction uh, still weighs in place. Uh, in In the state of Georgia, uh, uh, concerns about voter suppression uh, were elevated by uh, by uh, the Republican candidate there, Kemp, uh, was uh, was sitting as the state's election official and took a number of actions in terms of purging voters from the rolls. Uh, and, uh, and and uh, making claims about uh, hacking of the state's databases uh, that raised concerns about voter fraud it'll be interesting to see how that plays with his apparent uh, lead right now uh, if uh, if there are some legal challenges uh, to some of his courses of action uh, in overseeing that election uh, because if the if the margin is narrow enough it could arguably Uh, have been a consequences of some of the choices he made in connection with how to administer that election.
0: I guess on the other side, uh, in Florida, um, there there was a a ballot measure, which I believe had to pass by 60 percent and did, which would restore voting rights to felons. Um, So that that did pass. So the voters. Yes. Uh, We're obviously in favor of that.
1: In, in most states, uh, if you are a convicted felon, you are not allowed to vote. And what Florida's goal was to to say that if, you, if you've uh, paid your time and, and, and uh, made recompense uh, to society for your, uh, for your crimes... Uh, that that ought to be enough to restore uh, someone's right to vote yeah. uh, and that's an, an interesting choice on the part of Florida and and uh, um, and it'll be interesting to see if that has an effect uh, on on where things go uh, electorally in Florida.
0: Now if you are more concerned about voter suppression than voter, a fraud, which means you're probably a Democrat. Um, <laughs> I've, I've just pointed out that it's been Republican legislatures who are concerned in the opposite way and been restrict, more restrictive of voter rights. Um, I, I should point out here in Utah, it's been the opposite. It's in, you know Utah Republicans. It seems by and large, you gave the example of the lieutenant governor um, have have wanted to make voting easier. We had the motor voter law, you know, a few years back here in Utah.
1: Sure, Uh, and, and motor voters is now law nationally as well. Uh, the, uh, but, but, uh, there, there have been some, uh, some strong initiatives on the part of, uh, the lieutenant governor's office here in Utah to try to make voting, uh, more available, uh, trying to campaign, encourage people to get out and participate to vote. And, and that's important, uh, because voter turnout in, in Utah, uh, of late has been, Uh, quite low. Uh, And part of that's that our elections just aren't as competitive, uh, but we want to make sure that we're removing as many barriers to participation as we can. And I think those are very commendable uh, initiatives uh, that our lieutenant governors pursued.
0: I did forget about the voter ID law that was put forward. That could be construed as making it more difficult to to vote. It
1: it did, uh, but it's interesting that the voter ID law is in many ways... um, Uh, uh, far less impactful in Utah uh, than it is in other states because when you vote by mail, you no longer have to produce a uh, oh, uh, picture I ID. and I so uh, You do uh, bypass so, that with vote by mail. Um, That's true. So uh, in in some ways, uh, as, as if you choose not to vote on election day, Utah's voter ID law uh, is is not terribly important. And so in, in some sense, as we adopt vote by mail in more places in Utah, uh, whatever consequences may be in place of, of voter ID laws, are are arguably less impactful. Mm. Uh, Now, once you get yourself registered, as long as you uh, continue to participate in elections, at least occasionally, or even if you don't vote, the lieutenant governor's office sends you a letter and says, you still there? you send a letter back and say, yep, we're here, uh, then you'll continue to receive those ballots in the mail and you'll be uh, whether, whether your, uh, ID becomes expired or lapsed or whatever happens, you still have the opportunity to
0: vote in Utah. Hmm. We just have two or three minutes left. We'll, uh, we'll set aside for now the, uh, my interview with Austin Cox, but we've got the sense of what he said that our school is now is disappointed with uh, the way it looks like it's, that's is going and ballots going. And, uh, and I think wishes they would have done things differently, and, um, but they'll still keep fighting for more uh, ongoing solid revenue for our schools. Uh, I want to set that aside and uh, with the couple of minutes, just two minutes we have left, uh, talk about the remarkable phenomenon of record numbers of women running for office, record numbers of women by, by far uh, now being elected to office. The House of Representatives is going to look far different. Um, there will be many more women um, serving and- And and what a wonderful
1: thing that is, uh, uh, to have uh, uh, more representation of women in in the Congress. And uh, I I think that that has has had some uh, demonstrated effects on representation in terms of there are some issues and some ways of thinking about issues that will be different uh, when you have more women in the room. Uh, We have uh, uh, issues of, uh, of, uh, in, in the course of the Me Too movement, we're thinking a little bit more about sexual harassment uh, and general treatment of women and women's opportunities in the world. Uh, And I think it's a very positive thing uh, to see more women elected to the Congress uh, who will continue to give voice to those concerns and and, uh, try to strengthen the position of women moving forward.
0: And just a minute left. The propositions um, all appear to be leading at this point, but uh, asterisk next to each of those. So, proposition two appears to be heading toward passage. Um, The impact of that is somewhat mitigated by the compromise, right? That's uh, that's been forged. Uh, Proposition three, Medicaid expansion. Uh, That if that passes, that would go against uh, the wishes of uh, an expressed. Uh, opinions of many of our Republican legislators. Now, one of the interesting
1: things about all of these initiatives are that uh, they were largely things that the legislature was was not willing uh, to do we've had uh, a very very limited uh, medical marijuana uh, legislation in place uh, in Utah but uh efforts to do something more akin uh, to what uh, what 's proposed by prop two uh, and 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 that appears to have a fairly good chance of passing the legislature was unwilling to act until they saw. Uh, exactly how uh, how much support was behind this, and then they were willing to strike some sort of compromise deal. Uh, they voted down Medicaid expansion and they voted down Governor Herbert's Healthy Utah Compromise. And so uh, supporters decided to take that to the ballot box. And, and uh, again, that looks like... Uh, um, like it's got uh, a modest lead, uh, not, not ready to declare victory yet, but, uh, but there's some lead there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, and, and of course the Better Boundaries initiative we talked about earlier in the program, interesting to see how this has effects in future elections. Will Utah move in the direction of, of a California or an Arizona where more and more pieces of major legislation uh, are decided at the ballot box rather than decided by the legislature?
0: And Utah Republicans' legislature usually hold up California as a, a bad example, right? But we'll, we'll see if, if that uh, if we go in that uh, direction. Uh, Damon Can, USU, uh, professor of uh, political science, has been with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah.